It's estimated that between 10 and 15% of Canada's military veterans live with post-traumatic stress disorder and suffer from the mental health problems and physical issues that come along with PTSD. Veterans are homeless at a much higher rate than the average Canadian and also lose their lives to suicide far, far more often. This is a crisis and it's a moral imperative to do everything we as a country can to support and assist those veterans. My name is Eric Bowman. I'm the communications person for the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. Canada's Senate Subcommittee on Veterans Affairs has just released a report entitled The Time Is Now, Granting Equitable Access to Psychedelic-Assisted Therapies. After hearing testimony from veterans and mental health professionals like the CPA's own Dr. Andrea Lee, the report made several recommendations. Chief among those was that a robust research program be implemented immediately to study the effects of psychedelic-assisted therapy in treating PTSD among veterans. Not only would this mean that veterans who could benefit could gain access to this type of therapy immediately, but it would also build on the findings in other jurisdictions that preliminarily, suggests that the treatment is effective. Joining me today are Senator Hassan Youssef, who serves on the Veterans Affairs Subcommittee, and Dr. Andrea Lee. Let's meet our guests. I'm Senator Youssef. I'm an independent senator from Ontario. And Andrea. I'm Dr. Andrea Lee. I'm a policy associate with the Canadian Psychological Association, as well as a clinical psychologist. Terrific. And we are coming together to talk about the Senate report, The Time Is Now, Granting Equitable Access to Psychedelic-Assisted Therapies. And I just want to start, uh, Senator Youssef, with I want to understand how a Senate committee comes to be. Is this something that do you get appointed to it? Do you volunteer for it? Was this something you specifically wanted to be a part of uh, in, in looking at this uh, psychedelic assisted therapies uh, issue? I am upon the committee because uh, the Senate Veterans Committee is a subcommittee of the Defense and Security Committee. Serving on the Defense and Security a committee. I was asked to, of course, to be on the Veterans Affairs Committee. So in the context of being on the committee, we had to figure out what will be our priority in terms of work going forward. And of course, led to a lot of discussion. And one of the issues we wanted to examine a bit more uh, deeply, recognizing, of course, we've been hearing these stories publicly about the challenges that veterans face in regard to PTSD. And we decided we were going to, of course, spend most of our time which is probably over a year, looking at this issue and trying to gain as much expertise as we can from those who are struggling with PTSD, but equally bring in the experts who are looking at the issue to try to examine it and see what recommendations we could come up with. And it's obviously a pretty significant issue uh, here in Canada and elsewhere in the world. Uh, veterans uh, experiencing PTSD and the symptoms that are associated with it. Uh, and Dr. Lee, I'm hoping you can give us a little overview of PTSD. I figure, I feel that PTSD is something that we don't super understand in the general public, mostly because we use the term so often in reference to things that aren't in fact PTSD. So I'm hoping you can just give me an overview. What is PTSD? Sure. I think uh, you're right. I think it's there There might be some misunderstanding in the public, so I'll do my best to, to kind of give a brief overview. It's basically, it is a disorder that is diagnosable under the DSM-5, and it's usually with, with respect to actual or threatened death. 
serious injury or sexual violence. And then what we look for when we examine a client is four clusters of symptoms that would need to be present in order to make a diagnosis. So one is re-experiencing. So this traumatic event that you're exposed to, are you having nightmares, flashbacks, just re-experiencing it as if it was happening again. So you're physiologically and emotionally reacting as if it's it's occurring. There's avoidance behavior that we look for. So you're avoiding any reminders of the event, anything that might trigger the emotions associated with the event. Um, there's negative thoughts that come along with it. So negative view of the world, yourself. There might be shame. There might be things sort of a feeling, general feeling of unsafety about the world and, and where you're living in and um, how you kind of take up space in the world. And then the last cluster we look for is hyperarousal. So that that means like when you're maybe a bit jumpier, you're really cautious and, and kind of hypervigilant around your surroundings, kind of looking around. It just kind of it really impacts your, your daily life in these ways. And then you know, certainly we look for how distressing that is in your day-to-day life. And it, it seems that soldiers and veterans, people who have fought overseas in Afghanistan, other wars, are much more likely to experience the kind of things that would lead to PTSD. And one of the things I see in this report uh, mentioned again and again and again, which I think is the most important part of this, is that it so often leads to suicide, that veterans are taking their own lives at a much higher rate than the rest of the population uh, Mm -hmm. to the point where we would consider it to be a crisis, but it's a crisis that's been going on for quite some time now. This is nothing new. Senator Yusuf, what prompted this uh, particular committee at this time to start looking into other ways of treating PTSD? And I, I assume that the, the suicide rate was the number one driver of that. I think you're absolutely right that um, there have been, of course, case studies in the media individuals who have committed suicide, harm they have done to their family or loved ones. We have seen uh, those reports, and of course, there have been some public inquiry to figure out how this could have happened, what we could have done to prevent that from happening. I think that's prompted it. But also, I think to a large extent, um, there is a recognition that there have been a recognition that PTSD is a really uh, symptom of a lot of veterans. They're not the only one who struggle with this, but there are other Canadians who also struggle with this, a lot of frontline uh, police officers, those, of course, emergency responders also struggle with PTSD because of the traumatic experience they may have had with their jobs. But of course, given that our obligation, responsibility, and primary uh, focus was on veterans, we recognize that we need to hear a bit more about this, more importantly, how deep this problem is. And secondly, what, if anything, we could recommend to the government in terms of its obligation and responsibility to veterans, because there is a, a clear understanding that the government do have uh, responsibility to veterans when they come back as to how we can make them whole, but how we support them in regard to getting their lives back together. So the suicide part of this, of course, is the really the tragic part of it, because too often or not, it's too late to help those who have lost uh, their lives and, and the loved ones are left to deal with that. So how could we prevent more of that from happening? And let's look at what I think we were aware of senators, they have been evolving new treatments out there. Uh, The evidence is still being accumulated, but to a large extent, what are those new treatments? Are they something that we could amplify for the government to show some action on this? And what is other jurisdiction around the world equally doing on this in regard to new treatments? So we wanted to get all of that in 
in, in, in a broad context and then figure out what possible recommendations we could make as senators to the government. And I think the report, I think, is a reflection of that broad evidence that was provided to us. Um, doctor was also part of our, our witness that came and, and testified before our committee. But I think since then, we've seen other jurisdictions also using some of the recommendations in our study, their population can access some of these treatments going forward. And it seems uh, part of the report is saying that there are a lot of treatments that are currently available to veterans, but that some of them aren't working as well as one would expect when it comes to PTSD. And Dr. Lee, uh, I want you to tell me a little bit about what it's like to testify in front of the Senate. Like, how does that Mm -hmm. work, the nuts and bolts of it? And what maybe are some of the reasons that traditional PTSD treatments that Mm -hmm. we would we uh, psychologists would provide for the general public may not be working in the case of a veteran who's been in a war zone. So your first question about what was like testifying in the Senate, it was it was interesting as a great opportunity to represent CPA and, and our recommendations with regards to this issue. And Senator Yusuf was very kind and it, I appreciated <laughs> his presence there. Um, so, yeah, it was it was it was a good, good experience and good opportunity to have sort of our voices heard. We we sort of cautioned against jumping ahead too quickly with with these therapies that needed more research support. So I am pleased that ultimately the report made that recommendation to to kind of forge ahead with a lot more research specific populations to the Canadian vet, veteran population. So that that was was good to see. And with regards to treatment. Most of the treatment that's available is exposure-based, so meaning you ask the client to recall their trauma over and over again to desensitize in various forms and in different ways. And with the veteran population, you know, often there's repeated traumas, there's multiple traumas, there's other comorbidities, like there's depression as well. There's that concept of moral injury. Like there's, it's so complex that sometimes it's difficult to see, uh, you know, have a vet- veteran see improvement from these types of treatments or even able to engage. Because quite often with PTSD treatment, we don't just jump right into that treatment. We need to prepare the client to be able to tolerate what's coming, the, the exposure types of work. And often it's difficult to, you know, to avoid dropout you know, for example, or to miss missing appointments or just just the avoidance piece that I talked about with, with respect to what's ingrained and what's what's an integral part of the PTSD diagnosis is the avoidance. So it's difficult to kind of go against that. So we often want to tailor the treatments to the to the client. And there is a range of treatments that we can try, but I think the psychedelic assisted therapies is another avenue that we want to, um, you know, if there's evidence that that should be part of our toolkit as well. And that's what this uh, report recommends that we study, whether or not it is in fact effective. Nobody's making a determination right now that it's going to be, but there's something sort of bureaucratic about this that, that strikes me, right? The Senate report suggests that Veterans Affairs Canada should be launching this specific study to say, let's find out if this additional uh, therapy that exists might be beneficial to our veterans. And point and uh, Senator Yusuf, you were talking about some other jurisdictions, other countries that have done this sort of study that are ongoing right now, and that 
Veterans Affairs Canada sort of took a wait and see approach. We'll wait and see what those countries do. And once we figure out whether or not it's working for them, if it is, then we'll launch our own study. And it strikes me that the Senate was sort of saying, let's be less bureaucratic about it and let's just go ahead and do that now. Once we find out that it works for other populations, we're going to have to then do a study to find out if it works for ours. Why not just skip that wait and see process and start doing that study ourselves right now. And maybe there's something, uh, maybe I think of the Senate as part of this bureaucracy, but the fact that they're uh, suggesting that we cut some of it out is interesting to me. And I, I wonder if that was sort of the impetus of putting this this report out the way that you guys did, trying to accelerate this process. Well, we know that there are certain therapies that might help certain veterans and they're very effective and they get their lives back together. That's what we want. We know for some veterans, some therapies just is not effective in getting to the deeper challenge that they're facing with PTSD. And I think we need to recognize that we need to have a range of options that could be of assistance to veterans and we need to make them available, but they should be based on scientific evidence, not simply making a decision without knowing, because the last thing we want to do is to create more harm to a veteran that needs the help. And I think they're, they want to get their lives back together. That's what they will tell you over and over. Despite what anybody may think, they want to get back to a normal life with their, themselves, with their family, with their partners, uh, intimate partners, and what have you. And too often, of course, um, so long as they have these symptoms uh, with them and they're not able to overcome them, that's the challenge they do. So we we do know that other therapies that um, that we are asking the Department of Health Canada and our research council to look at show some hope and possibilities that this could make a difference in the life of veterans. And if that options are there for those veterans who current therapy approach is not working, we should take the opportunity to make it available to them, but it should be scientifically based. It should be peer research. And more importantly, we should recognize we should not creating harm. We should be doing accessing therapies that will help a veteran. What I think um, other jurisdictions are doing, they're moving a little bit faster. And I think what we are trying to do is to get, of course, Veterans Affairs, uh, National Defense, Health Canada, and our, our research council to make this a priority because I think what it will do, if we're able to have the evidence that confirm this, I think what it would make is other options available to veterans that's not currently widely um, available. And we have seen from U.S. studies that U.S. Veterans Affairs have been doing, uh, we're seeing from other jurisdictions, they're thinking that these new therapies actually holds hope for getting at the deeper challenges that some veterans and others may not be able to overcome. And I think we need to make that much, much more accessible, but it takes leadership. And we are saying that the government should provide this as their moral responsibility to do so. And secondly, of course, it's going to make, it's going to take a scientific evidence with peer reviews to make sure the evidence actually have uh, value and it will be of help. And one of the things we did learn also in the study that the therapies themselves is one aspect of it but you have to offer them with counseling and other support to make sure that a veteran will get a, a total of all the packages available. So you're not just giving one thing without doing the other, both are complementary. And if you're able to do all of this in tandem, what we have heard from veterans who have had access to these therapies, it, it completely has transformed their lives. It's wonderful to listen to them, to hear them, 
and to learn from what they've been able to tell us. And I think as, as senators in the context of our duty is we're saying we need to do everything to help these men and women who, who we have an obligation to, but equally we have a moral responsibility to provide support. And I think uh, Dr. Lee and our colleagues who are of course the, 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 the in, in, in the community who have been in the forefront of doing this, we're saying we need to take this approach, but also to work with those institutions already on the cutting edge of trying to figure out what new therapies we can make available to veterans in a way that will help them get their lives back together. And Dr. Lee and a number of colleagues of hers spoke in front of you. It sounds like some of some of the veterans who have been uh, trying this out already have spoken in front of you too. What were some of the more persuasive arguments that led the Senate down the path uh, that this subcommittee uh, came out with this report? Uh, who were some of the people that you heard from where you said, okay, that makes perfect sense. Let's, let's move forward with this. Well, the most compelling evidence came from veterans themselves who had had uh, access to these new therapies and who have benefited from them. Uh, for me, as a, as, as a layperson who don't have the expertise in this, but having to live it to the expert, I thought the most compelling evidence came from veterans themselves. Uh, the, the way they spoke, um, the change in their lives and how their lives have been transformed in, in a way that uh, you wouldn't have predicted or think was quite possible given the moral injury and, and, and challenge they faced after they came back from from tour of duty, uh, I think that was the most compelling evidence. Of course, uh, from those who, from the scientific committees, uh, medical um, practitioners who came, of course, they can tell you what they know from their experience and what they have been researching. But uh, I think for us, the most compelling evidence came from the veterans themselves. And um, I think for us as, as a committee, uh, that was the objective. If we could hear from them, learn from them, it will give us, of course, uh, evidence to, to recommend that this, we're not making this up. We didn't read this in the textbook. These are coming from people whose lives have been transformed. And what we do know is that far too many of our veterans in this country, despite having access to some therapies that's currently available, that they have not been able to overcome their PTSD uh, symptoms and their lives have not been restored. And we have an obligation to do that. And if these new therapies are going to be the way to get their lives back together, and have them move on, I think we have a moral legal responsibility to do so. And Andrea, I'm wondering, Senator Youssef was mentioning, you know, that veterans do have access to some currently available therapies, <laughs> but I'm wondering with the lack of access to therapy across Canada for regular Canadians, is that a little bit different for veterans? Do we put a priority on them and do they are they more likely to have access to the currently available therapies now, mm-hmm. or is there a dearth of psychologists and mental health professionals within the veteran system as well? Do you know? Uh, yes, I, I do um, know when doing sort of some of the research before witnessing in front of the committee, I talked to people in OSI clinics, people that work directly with veterans. I do have, I do some of that as well myself. And there is a shortage of psychologists able to do this work. And it's not just psychologists that that would need that can do the work, of course. So there could be registered psychotherapists and, and other counselors uh, that could potentially do the work. I think in general, veterans, you know, through VAC and through the Blue Cross and through OSI clinics, um, there is a lot more coverage of mental health compared to maybe the general 
population. But even so, like they're limited by who can take them on, right? And and how how much of a weight and that kind of thing. So so there is a shortage just across the country that that would also need to be addressed. So if we were to do this type of therapy, we need people trained in it appropriately, people that are registered in their colleges uh, and able to be accountable in doing this type of work with that proper training. So, so that that's also an issue that would need to be addressed if this ends up rolling out. And one of the challenges that we do face, and this is um, uh, again, unique to our federation as a country, the federal government does not deliver healthcare on the front lines. That's the provider provinces and the territories, and you have to work mm-hmm. with them to make sure that if these therapies are available, how they will be delivered in their jurisdiction. And this is really critical. Alberta has moved forward to allow these therapies to happen in their jurisdiction. I think that's a wonderful um, recognition of um, the development that is happening, but that again remains a very, um, I guess, patchwork in the context of the country. So we have to work with the provinces and the territory to ensure that veterans will have access in their own jurisdiction wherever he or she may reside in the country. That will take a bit of work because not every jurisdiction can take the same approach and how they pro- provide this because the, the veterans don't have a unique access to treatment differently than other Canadians. They have to go through the same medical, uh, uh, I guess, um, loop as other Canadians, that we need to make this a priority in, in other jurisdiction. I, I think it's wonderful what Alberta has done. We can learn from their experience and how do we model that in other jurisdiction across the country. Should these therapies become the norm in how we could treat uh, veterans going forward, we'd also have to work with the province to give this a priority in regard to their delivery system. And I think that's interesting. And it's something definitely that that matters because from one jurisdiction to another, uh, there's likely to be a whole new set of pushbacks against this or uh, people welcoming it in a different way. And I'm cognizant that we're we're talking here on this podcast episode. It's one ap- episode after we talked about the new CPA position paper uh, recommending the decriminalization of illegal substances. And what we're talking about here in, in psychedelic assisted therapy is psilocybin, MDMA. It's things that are currently considered to be illegal by the Canadian justice system. And I'm wondering if that in and of itself, I think that's something that becomes so entrenched that it engenders pushback, uh, certainly among the public and among politicians who can on occasion uh, use that as a sort of uh you know divisive issue that they can they can take to the people when they're making stump speeches and so on it, what kind of pushback was there was there any pushback uh senator yusuf when uh, you the committee's there there's people coming to testify were there people telling you no we can't do this so uh, was there any anybody saying hang on this sounds really illegal and we shouldn't be doing it uh or was it generally speaking sort of a one-sided a decision actually no I, I think when we started out the study i think um to be fair to my colleagues there were some hesitancy about is this worthy of our effort uh is this really practical as you know there is a whole reference to the 60s and 70s in regard to psychedelics uh, use in the country and um, and during that period that people still have of memory because of our age. No, I'm older, but I'm not that old. (laughs) The reality is there is this reference that you had to remind people. It is true to, to recognize there is a reference, but the reference may not be 
recognizable of the usefulness of these new, how these these could be medications that can help uh, people. So we had to talk that through and like good Canadians, if you're able to open your, your hearts and your minds to listen to what the evidence is, you can overcome some of those prejudices. So we, we were able to work that through as a committee among our colleagues and come out with a unified position rather than coming out with a, a position that would have had uh, a counterpoint in the report. As you know, this report was unanimous on behalf of the Veterans Affairs Subcommittee. Well, there was no dissent in it, but we had to talk those things through to understand it, but also to appreciate that the reference that one of us may have or a number of us may have in regard to the past cannot be allowed to prejudice the recommendations that we could make that could be of assistance to veterans and their family going forward. Dr. Lee, you mentioned earlier a, a little bit, if this were to go forward, we would need to train professionals in the use of psychedelic-assisted therapy and all of that kind of thing. How many people are qualified to do that now? Is it a very small amount because we haven't done these <laughs> studies? And should the study go forward, how quickly would it be possible to train people to be able to provide this sort of therapy? Uh, yeah. So currently, I, I don't, I don't, it's not widely available. Therapists aren't trained in it because it's, it's, it's currently in the research phase. So I think the, the, the therapists within the research protocols obviously have been trained and they, they're able to do that. So as far as I know, especially when I was talking to psychologists within the OSI, network um there was there wasn't a lot of knowledge around it because um it's not available to their client populations at the moment so so in terms of the length of training i don't i don't know i know that you know through looking into this and and also in the senate report these therapies are lengthy you know it could be you know a full day 12 hours you know across across a, quite a bit of time and you know it's hard i think it would be hard to find clinicians able to do that commitment, but I'm hoping, you know, with evidence base and and sort of um, more education around it, once all that rolls out, that that we can probably find a way to recruit therapists to do to this type of stuff. You mentioned that the ones who would participate in the trial would obviously be trained in it. Uh, would that be taking all of the psychologists and mental health professionals trained in psychedelic assisted therapy out of the rest of the market and putting them into this trial to learn to see whether this works for our military veterans? Or uh, are there a few more than that? You know, we do have a limited resource. So if we do have therapists that are going to be training in a new type of therapy and it takes um, one client, you, you're focused on one client for a full day, then automatically you're not seeing the six to eight other clients that you typically would see in a in, in a day. So so it does take away from perhaps other clients and other types of therapies that could be offered. So technically that's the case, but you know hopefully we can increase supply, increase interest in in this type of thing if if it does show good support. Yeah, and that's always the trade off, isn't it? For every psychologist who's going to teach others to become psychologists, the time they spend teaching others is taken away from their own practice and that sort of thing. And there's always a balance there. Senator Youssef, what are the hopes uh, from this subcommittee report for immediate action? I, where does it go? Uh, I know there's a press release. I know it goes to the federal government. Who in the federal government receives it? And then what do you hope is the next step that's taken here? 
most of us, we always think there is some magic that happens when a report comes out and uh, uh, from from committee's work. Uh, I got to tell you the truth. That's not the, what happens. On a personal level, I, I certainly, um, because this we just released the report, uh, we've sent it to um, folks, but what I will, on a personal level, I will follow up uh, scheduled meetings with uh, both Minister of Veterans Affairs, the Minister of Health, and uh, uh, the Minister of Defense to say, listen, we need to have a collaborative conversation. Is how you take this in a in a in a, in, a, in a practical way, but also in a in a political way, because you have to commit additional resources to get some of these research starting to happen. So, how do we make that happen? How can we prioritize that as quickly as possible? But equally, uh, can we start following the evidence from other jurisdictions that are evolving? So we can learn that uh, in Canada, because we don't have to do everything ourselves. If something has been tested, it's been peer reviewed, and of course the scientific data is there to back it up, we should be able to take that and figure out how we replicate it here. But at the same time, that doesn't excuse us to do our own efforts in regard to the research, and more importantly, to provide money to the research chairs that, that can make this happen very quickly with institutions that we already have. A relationship, but it will take some effort. And I'm hoping, as you know, the government is in the budget priorities leading in, into to next year a budget. So I would do my best to try to influence those particular uh, ministers to say, hey, all three of you should say this is a priority and try to get some resor- uh, resources in the next budget to make this a priority to show our veterans that we're listening to them, we're hearing them, and more importantly, we're responding to the recommendation that's come from Senate uh, and the House Committee report uh, in in this direction. The last point I would make is that um, that's what the veterans want. Uh, I mean, as much as they're struggling, they want to know their government is attentive to their needs and they want to see the government is taking whatever new approach that can be helpful to help them get their lives back together. So for the least, from my point, that's what I'm committed to do as as a Senator. And I'm hoping that I would have some influence with the people that I just um, named to make sure they make this a priority in the next budget coming forward. It strikes me that politically, it's easier to take the results of a study and say, listen, this has been proven to work. We're going to sink money into it than it is to say we're going to sink money into finding out whether or not something works. I'm thinking of here in Ontario, we had a guaranteed basic income pilot project that was launched by one government and that was unpopular. And the next government came in and they shut it down before it was ever finished. Uh, So I'm wondering when you meet with uh, these ministers and these politicians who are looking at things from a political lens, in addition to, uh, you know, results based lens, if that's the political argument that you make is this is what veterans want, this will show that we are caring about what it is that they need. Is that sort of the argument that you make? Or is your argument solely one of this is the right thing to do? And here's the evidence that shows that? Well, I think it's both. I think the evidence is showing that uh, these therapies can help veterans overcome PTSD. So that is there without if from my learning of what we have heard from witnesses. But there's the other side. We still need to do the scientific work to continue to enrich the research that's already out there. I think we have an obligation to do that as a country because our responsibility to veterans, but also to help the veterans population in general around the world, because we're not the only countries having to treat veterans that come back from war. We're we're also partnering with other countries in G7, in in NATO and other countries. So I think we can enrich that uh, research that's already out there. 
but equally the scientific community, what psychologists and therapists are also doing to help veterans, our job is to assist them uh, uh, in the work that they are doing, trying to help veterans also in, in our country and another jurisdiction around the world. So this is a broader effort, I think, that we need to play our own part in as a country, but equally to contribute in, in our own way. Wonderful. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here with me today. I appreciate uh, talking to both of you. This was great and hope that the recommendations are uh, run with and that uh, we can have a follow up on this in a year or so once the trials are underway. Eric, thank you so much for your public service and giving us some attention. I think you're doing a tremendous uh, service to our veterans in this country. And- all my best, thank you. Last week, we spoke about decriminalizing substances currently treated as illegal here in Canada. This week, I think we've seen another aspect of the strange relationship Canadians, government, the military, law enforcement have with drugs. There hasn't been a lot of data on treating PTSD among veterans with psilocybin and MDMA and the like, but what data there is has looked promising. And should this be a viable venue, the time is now to find out. Thanks to Senator Hassan Youssef and Dr. Andrea Lee for joining me today, and to you at home for listening, streaming, and downloading today's program. Mindful is written, published, and recorded by me, Eric Bullman. Our editor and producer is Jamie Montgomery, and our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor. 